my gosh, we're yeah. trying to convince him to go. Chris, stop talking. <laughs> Are we going or is this a test? We're going. This is it, baby. Oh, shit. All right, hang on. Well, hey, everybody, it's Zero Reserve, rocking your daily commute. <laughs> Tonight, we've got Double HS and the Mongoose, and our special guest, Trey. Say hey, Trey. Hey. Welcome to episode three. Or music right now, I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. this is for Coming this is for all those long. listeners that still have a daily commute. Um, <laughs> you have to lean. You have to lean into the radio aspect of. of I know. Life. I'm just saying. Literally, no one's commuting to work anymore. Everybody's working from home. I wish. But I also am like three minutes away from my work, so I guess I can't complain. Well, that's nice. All righty. Well, this is episode three of Zero Reserve. Um, I'm your host today, Alex Black. Uh, joining me on the episode is the Mongoose. What's that? Oh! Do mongooses howl? <laughs> yeah, they do not. I don't think They do so. not, but that, is, that does not matter right now. What about a mongoose with coronavirus? Does a mongoose with coronavirus howl? It sounds more like... <laughs> um, also on the cast today, we've got uh, we've got Jess. How's it going, Jess? Good, good. And as well, uh, the cow himself. How's it going, Alejandro? <coughs> yeah, yeah, good, good. We're really leaning into this already. Um, and finally, our special guest on this episode uh, is Trey Alsip. Thanks for thanks for coming on, Trey. We really appreciate it. How are you? It's my pleasure, and I'm showing no symptoms whatsoever. So I'm I'm ready to do this podcast. Good. I think I, hopefully none of us are showing symptoms. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we uh, we've got a special episode for you today. We are going to discuss. Thrones War Draft Strategy. Um, some of you perhaps have already heard Trey's beautiful voice on uh, on the Second Sons. Um, may they rest in peace. Um, uh, analyzing some draft strategy from <laughs> from from Thrones War UK uh, twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. I, I think it was twenty nineteen. Is that right, Trey? I've done it a couple times. Couple times, okay, yeah. You've kind of become known as like the draft strategy guy, uh, more or less. So we thought we thought we'd bring you in here and basically, you know, run it back, uh, see if there's any new updates on sort of on your perspective of how to how to approach the draft and all that. Plus, we've got two. Uh, what are we calling it? Thrones War Prime now, or what do we have? What is the name for the for the San Diego Thrones War variant these days? I'm pretty sure people call it Prime or OG. Thrones War Corona Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. CT. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, we've got two uh, regents. Uh, two soon-to-be regents. Some, uh, some well, I think, is this your first time being a regent, uh, CT and Jess, at Thrones War Prime? Uh, there's been so many of them now that they kind of mix together for me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So this is we my got first two, two, two first timers for the 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 Thrones War Prime event. I know you've both been regents at other Prime events, um, and so uh, and then we also have 
someone who I presume will be one of the most sought after commodities in the player pool in Alejandro. Um, and then there's me. And uh, right now I'm, I'm, I'm like solidly on the fence. Tickets are really cheap and I'm, That's I'm not sure. So basically the entire point of this podcast is that you guys got to sell me on going to this year's Thrones War. So at the end of the podcast, I'll decide if I'm going or not. So that's a lot. Of, I hope you guys are ready for that's not too much pressure for you. It's a lot of anyway. Pressure. So um well I'm confused okay. now. Is the Thrones Prime war, war Prime event is that the San Diego event or yeah, that is yes. correct. Yeah. I'm just trying I want to get the nomenclature right. I'm not sure what everybody we can just call it Thrones War from here on in. I'm fine with that. It's the original after all. Um but I don't want people to confuse it with the UK Thrones War, which had a draft a few weeks back and is going to happen, um, I assume, in a few weeks from now. I'm not sure when the, the actual date of that ter- event it's is. It's the same weekend. It's the exact Thrones. same yeah. weekend. Wow. Well, that's yep. that's pretty big, actually. Um, so they did the draft really early then. Yeah, they've got a ton of time to prepare. Yep. Yeah. And, and they're doing the um, the world's meta. So. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Which we, that's we the big will definitely difference. get into. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, that's a huge difference. So I wanted to start off, Trey, by asking, um, well, I'll ask these questions to everyone, but I want to ask them to you first because you're our special guest. Um, if if you were in CT or Jess's position um, and you were going to be a first, first time regent, um, you know, ignoring the fact that they've been regents at other th- war events, um, how would you begin to prepare for your first time being a regent? Well, um, I would say, so we're talking about preparation for the draft itself. Yeah, I should say, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, we should sure. clarify for the so, draft. Yes. So I think the, the main things they should be looking at right now is they should be making a bunch of calls. Um, the first call is going to be looking at the player list and ranking all of those players in terms of desirability for you personally. You know, um, it's important. Uh, I, I know some people kind of do tiers, but it's helpful to actually kind of like, go ahead, let's rank all of these people, you know, one to 64, so that you can then assign a dollar value to them uh, going into the auction. And you can track during the auction whether you think people are going at discounts or whether people are going too high so that you can kind of just take the temperature of the auction as you're going and manage your money in a really uh, smart way. So one is just like make those calls in terms of player evaluations. That's a really big topic that I know almost nothing about. Like I, I don't, you know, like I, yeah, I've played some events. I have opinions about players, but I don't think that like my opinions on players would be any more valuable than anyone else and probably less so. Um, so, yeah. so that's a, that's a fairly large variable factor um, in terms of like skill of a regent in being able to, you know, make those determinations on the player pool. Um, Absolutely. And like, this is an area that I think like buzz would have a lot to say on this because like, I think both he and James love going into jousting pavilion and looking at tournament results and trying to like feed all of that data into a spreadsheet and then come up with a ranking based upon win percentage and this type of stuff to actually like apply some data to ranking players in terms of 
you know, their expected performance. And um, I've never done that. Um, in the end, though, like you just you kind of need to just get to who do I think is the best player and then who are the players who are probably the least desirable. And it's important to rank all of them um, because that's going to help you assign dollar values to the entire pool so that you can like because there's a different skill between I'm going to put together a good team and but knowing what to pay for people, that's a whole different thing. And this is where hopefully I can provide some insight. Absolutely. So that would that would be one. The second thing would, and, the, and what's going to be a super interesting, I think, going into this Thrones War is you got to make some some big time meta calls about house value. Um, I think you got to you got to look. You need whether you're already testing using the restricted list that um, the Regents and Chris came up with. You got to make some pretty big calls now about what house you houses you think are most desirable how much better they are and uh even like what what do i think is like the worst house what 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 the worst house is um and ranking all of those things if you're going to assign some values to it you need to do that and um it's important to do each one and it may even be important to figure out how it's important to figure out how much worse some of these other factions are. So I, I hope we can kind of get into some people's thoughts about different factions right now. I don't want regions to have to like, you know, show their hands, but we can kind of go through the exercise of like, how do we assign a value to a faction in these formats based upon how well you think they're going to do? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I fully intend on trying to delve into some of that um, on this episode. Is there anything else that's sort of like an overarching idea um, that you would be looking at going into prep? I mean, you've talked obviously about ranking the player pool and then ranking the houses. Is there a, is there a third element there that you really want to have in your toolbox as you prepare for your first time ever drafting? Or would you say those are the two main things? I think those are the two main things, but uh, maybe the third category would maybe we would just call draft strategy slash tips of, you know, maybe, you know, six to eight rules that we're probably all at this point fairly familiar with about how to conduct your draft um, in order to not make some of the classic blunders of Thrones War sure. drafting. Um, you know, things like, you know, save $2 for every single player you know, don't be the last one to get a faction, you know, thing, things like that. Right. So does anybody, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Does anybody else have anything to add on sort of that question of, you know, you two, you two have experience CT and Jess, obviously in other events, but you know, if you were going into this and just, this was your first time being a regent, um, you know, what like what what would you tell yourself if this was your first time uh like something you would want to know before you started any of the preparatory process um that you know that initial time i guess ct do you want to answer that one first sure um so like one thing that never ceases to amaze me about thrones war is we do a lot of these now every year and the player counts Therefore, the budgets fluctuate pretty wildly at this point. Yep. And it seems like no matter how much that changes, people don't change, they, people don't adjust their like costs for players or houses. And that's kind of terrifying to me in some regard. Like, this is going to be the first one in a while where the budgets are $70, right? 
Um, Depends on how many people sign up today, right? Right, right, right. But we're, if we're Alex kinda, signs kinda up, it could you would have a bigger budget. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> All the numbers will change. Could be. I think true. we're already there. That's you true. Think we cracked forty-eight. Yes. Yes. Good. I yeah. believe the current count is fifty-eight, maybe fifty-seven. So I think they're trying to make a push for six. Yeah, fifty-seven sounds right. Yeah, fifty-seven. Okay. But I definitely so as... feel like there's a pattern of people still bidding like they have one hundred and thirty dollars, but like they don't have that much money. Um, so the thing I would definitely tell anybody doing this for the first time is like, do not get caught up in the crazy bid wars. Like when Tar goes up to $45, half your money in the first five seconds of the house going up. If you, no matter how bad you want Tar, like don't just jump on it. Like you need to actually take the time to consider how much money you have total. And if that is like these normal crazy bidding patterns may not line up for success. And things. I imagine we will dive into that um, idea specifically later on. But I, I think what's important to remember um, is that it's all contextual and that you should have a value that is set for the house based on the context of your budget. And people people definitely need to adjust um, based on budget size. And that is one of the big variables in these is the budgets aren't always the same. So uh yeah that's a definitely that's definitely a really good point jess do you have anything that you would have told yourself before your first time being a regent i believe you were uh uh the laney regent out at thrones toberfest last is that correct it was uh two thrones toberfest ago yep gotcha. um i would probably say i think the biggest thing is don't put up anything you desperately want because I feel that's, like that's interesting, yeah. if you throw up a house you really want or a player you really want and then you continuously bid on it, that's how I think those bidding wars get started because they're like, oh, she really wants, you know, X thing. That's a really interesting idea. I, I do want to unpack that, um, but perhaps we'll leave that to a little later because mm -hmm. I think we might have some differences of opinions on that. Uh, potentially, but I, it's one it's one of those things that it's really hard to know. Um, you know, that's one of those things that I think it's not super easily um, sort of equatable to like a, from a math standpoint, if is mm -hmm. this correct or not, um, and more of like a game theory type question. So, um, yeah, Jess is talking about timing and right. like there's going to be Absolutely. a right time and a wrong time to make the move on the stuff you actually want. And I, th I think like being prepared and having assigned values to stuff before the draft can help you identify like what's one of the main things that like being prepared can do is it will cue you in for when the time is right to make those moves right yeah now uh forgive me alejandro uh have you ever been a regent at one of these events you have mm. right no? uh, yeah you have you yeah, were at yeah. thrones war right last year yeah yeah, and um, and like three years ago or something. Okay, so I can, we can extend the question to you as well. Is there anything that you would have told you'd like to tell yourself before going into those events if you had the opportunity? Sure. Yeah. I, so, I mean, I I don't disagree with Jess at this point because I think early on you you mostly want to get you get the other regions, um, uh, you know, their 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 money down. But one thing that I made the mistake of. Um, probably over both of them actually was that 
like there's a there's a part and and Trey touched on this already. There's a part of the draft where you want to start getting stuff. And and the way that you do that is by putting them up yourself. So um you know, it's it's more mid-tier stuff that you want to mm-hmm. do this for. Um it's not the high-end stuff, but there's certainly a point where it shifts and you like need to start grabbing the things that you want before there's not a lot left and everybody's fighting over scraps. Right. Yeah. If you wait too long, if you no, I think that's, I think that's a good point. If you wait too long to nominate, you know, maybe this like, um, this like dark horse pick or this sleeper pick that you want to make and everyone's left desperate for good picks, then your dark horse or sleeper pick is going to end up costing you way more than you wanted whereas if you nominated them in the middle in the mid portion of the draft perhaps you could have gotten a great deal so i i think that's a really interesting point and we'll uh we'll dive into that a little more later um for now i i wanted to focus on the idea of valuations for houses so trey what's the best way to determine expected values for houses in a brand new format like we have for thrones war this year all right, so like everything that's in the spreadsheets that I put together is about like what do you get for a dollar? Like that's kind of like the cornerstone of all valuation for rotisserie baseball or any of these games where you're assigning a dollar value to something is that um, you you want to say um, – you don't want to necessarily assign a, you don't want to, for example, be paying a certain number of dollars per win that you expect a player to get. You want to pay for those things that you don't get for free. And so like for players, for example, even the players that are, we would rank the lowest players like me in the, in the tournament, like you might have a win expectancy of like that you would go two and five or maybe two and a half and four and a half, you know, it's, it's okay to break it up. Um, but I'm still a $1 player. Like if I'm going to get two wins or three wins, you don't want to pay seven or $8 for me because you're going to normally pay $3 or $4 per win. Like the right price for a player like me is one or two bucks. Um, if you're expecting, you know, two or three wins out of me. So in a sense, you have to kind of like ignore the first two wins that happen. So that's on the, on the player side. On the house side, you want to look at each faction and make a call, a numeric call about um, once I've ranked all of the houses one to eight, it isn't enough just to go, this is my one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You want to say um, how many, win- if I'm an average, you know, if, if you take an average player and they're playing an average house, like that's a zero. And then what's if i'm looking at the best house and let's just say hypothetically using 2019 meta not the current meta and said okay targaryen playing targaryen what's that going to add to an average player you know does their win does their win expectancy go up from three and a half wins to four wins or is it going up you know a full win where we would expect that average player now to get four and a half wins in this format when they're playing targ and on the other side let's say Again, 2019 meta, you know, what's the worst house? Um, you know, am I dro- is every single player, you know, dropping half a win by playing Barra or more? And if you can actually, like, try to put a number on that, that actually helps you then say, okay, when I, when I 
buy targ and they're giving me you know 0.6 wins above average and with my players uh like there's nine people on my team plus the regents so that's 10 players they're giving me 0.6 wins per player so targ is con contributing six wins above uh six wins total um just by buying that house above the average and then say you know Barra was kind of doing the same on the opposite so we have a 12 win spread between the the top house and the bottom house um then you can start to say okay so targaryen should be i should pay t for those 12 wins for targaryen above baratheon and that's why you can see a, like a value on a house b and be justified for being well beyond what a top player would get because there's no player in this game that's giving you 12 wins right yeah so uh, i think that's a really interesting concept and so I, my question would be if we look back at like old thrones war events perhaps you know where we have these like dominant top houses um you know such as targaryen from last year if 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 targ is giving if it's boosting every player 0.6 wins per player how do you how does that translate to you in terms of what percentage of your budget you are willing to spend on that house right so what what i would say is like part of the meta call that regents are going to make right now is just looking at those houses and saying how close are they to each other the larger that spread is the more budget should be allocated towards houses. If the if the houses are very competitive with each other, like say hypothetically that this Thrones War restricted list was pure genius and all eight houses are now perfectly equal strength and we have this fantastic balanced meta, you know, the correct price to pay for a house is $1, right? Like if if, thing, if all of the houses were completely balanced, you wouldn't devote any of your, you know, anything more than the minimum towards it. So the bigger that spread, the more um, percentage of your budget you should be allocating. Right. So so when people spend X amount of money on a house, it, it that implication is preference as well as obviously how much better they think that house is than the average house in in the field, per se. So. Yeah, I would say so, it, it's not it's not really the average house. It's against the worst house. I know okay, that's quib sure. that's quibbling, but in a sense, the no, worst no, house no. the worst house determines the market. Okay, if that makes all sense. right. That, I think that's a really good that's a really good way of looking at that. So, does I mean CT Jess Alejandro? You guys have all been regents. Um, some of you are going to be regents up again. Where do you think you know knowing that and your strategies for evaluating? houses um because i know there's been sort of a prevailing uh belief in, at least in american thrones war draft strategy where you don't want to be the person stuck at the very end paying a dollar but you also don't want to be the person who overpays for the house and i what what trey is kind of saying is from what i'm hearing is that's not necessarily you know, correct. Like it's, it's sometimes okay to pay the most for a house because the house is what ultimately you have, you can, you know, have the most equity in like the house can give you the most 
extra wins. Um, so is that something that knowing that, is that something that really changes your approach to, to the upcoming draft? Jess, you want to take that one first? Yeah. So with my Thrones Toberfest team, I actually took the $1 house. Um, well, there was two $1 houses, but I took one of them and we came in second because I prioritized getting really good players on my team. And it's just, I can see both sides of it, I guess. Um, I think it just you, depends on how, I guess, how balanced the pool is of players. If there's a, a high, uh, a high concentration of good players, I don't think it's as bad to take the $1 house. So Let me ask you, you a question. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I mean, when you when you were in the draft doing this and you got your house for one dollar, yeah. Did you think it was the worst house? No. Right. So you <laughs> you made some profit, like you yeah. thought you had some profit immediately when you got it for a dollar. Yes. Okay. What? And out of curiosity, what would you have been willing to pay for that house? Um, probably like five dollars. Okay, so you, you made a little bit of a profit. You also knew you were going to... Uh, how early did you get your house? Um, I got it. It was the the last two houses. What were the... It was uh, so the other $1 house So you were just building a good team. There. You weren't building a team based upon house. Or did you think you were going to end up on the house that you ended up on? I kind I knew I was probably going to be on that house. It, it was, was definitely a gambit. I remember because... Um, I worked with Jess on prep for that draft and a lot of it was drafting towards Lannister, like getting players who were comfortable with Lannister. So it was definitely a gambit in that if it didn't pay off, you might've been in some trouble. Yeah. But it did pay off. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm definitely not telling you that you have to take the most expensive house. Um, It sounded like you made a lot of profit just on your, your house selection. So. Yeah, yeah, it's That's possible great. that even though you would have paid five for Lannister, that the the value of it in the draft should have been even higher than that. I mean, it probably should have been, you know, maybe I, I I'm just throwing a number out there, but yeah. like, you know, ten or I eleven mean, or something like that. Essentially, it was it was like Vac and I didn't have houses, and he's like, I want Barra. Like, you can have Lannister, just don't bid me up on Barra. And I was like thinking, That's great. I think Barra is the worst house. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Oh, the wild, the wild west of yes. Thrones. <laughs> Thrones Toberfest is just like, like no rules, no holds barred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I don't necessarily believe that strategy would work for this Thrones War. Because I think the player pool is just way too small. Right. So, and why don't we, uh, you know, why don't we apply some of these things to, to the upcoming Thrones War? So we've got a brand new restricted list. Um, we've got a bunch of new cards that are getting injected into the format. Um, if somebody wants to help me by pulling that restricted list up, um, so that we can reference it, that would be awesome. Um, so it's going to be really difficult to say with any sort of certainty, you know, what is the gap between the best house and the worst house here? Because we don't have any data on this meta game and, you know, tournament results. 
it's it would be very easy uh in my opinion to to sort of be overstimulated by all this new like these new cards like cards that are now being restricted and all the cards that are the influx of cards coming in i mean you could maybe compare it to a thrones war in the past where a box came out right before the thrones war i think that wasn't super uncommon for the the original thrones wars that happened in february um but usually the boxes have been out for a couple months so um does anybody have any insight on on how they're sort of approaching this process um perhaps alejandro you're not going to be a regent for this event but do you have any insight on how you would evaluate these houses with all this new you know all, all this new these new cards that are going to be played yeah yeah do you want to talk about the rankings of the functions or um we could but i'm more interested in like the disparity between the top and the bottom house if you know because we've been specifically talking about sort of how that uh right yeah you know, how that impacts how much of someone's budget they're willing to spend on a house is like the disparity between the top and bottom yeah i like I mean, Trey's t- talked about this. And this is one of the most important parts of the, the draft to figure out, right? Um, and it's actually really difficult when when there's a restricted list that gets dropped right before it. Um, and you're, you, like, as a regent, I think this might be the most profit you could have made in any of the wars to date. You know, I, I, it's hard for me to think back um, at something that changed the meta as much as this list has and the and the pack um, and so if if a region has done their homework and and figured out exactly what the prices are should be or or you know uh, how bad the worst one is how good the, the best one is and what the separation is um, they can they can gain a lot of equity there um, I think the way that I look at it the the there's probably a lot not as much as last year um because the difference between para and targ was so so steep last year but but i I think that there's a significant amount of difference however i i do think that there's a few at the top that are pretty close to each other um then there's like a middle pack and then there's uh you know one or two at the very bottom so i I think the disparity is pretty large um but there's a few factions that you can get and I think you would be happy with. Um, but but it's hard for me to get like any deeper than that because I've, I've just been building some decks and theory crafting stuff. Um, I haven't really, I, I haven't had any reps in the meta. I've, I've taken like decks that I built with the restricted list and played on one Iron Throne. Um, well, Alejandro, sure. you're, you're acting like a regent here where you're, 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 you're <laughs> holding your cards pretty close to your, your, your chest still um well it, it's it's oh do, do you want to like know the factions i guess i you know um, well we we could go into speculation but I, I think you know is it possible that with so many new cards being printed a lot of them the power level of which is very strong it's really going to be more of a factor of are the regents that end up with these factions going to be able to take advantage of the fact that they just got this big shot in the arm? Because I can guarantee you that not every regent will do, will be able to do that. You know, it's not Mm going to be this equivalent thing where everybody figures out how to use these cards to the 
best, uh, you know, to their utmost potential. So do we think that the fact that pretty much every faction outside of arguably Night's Watch, and even then, there's a lot of really good neutral cards that have been put into the pool, right? Um you know, is it gonna be is it gonna be too much of a guessing game and too much of a who who you know who discovers the atom bomb type thing, and and is that going to push the disparity of the two of the houses together and and sort of you know that's what I'm curious about because there is so much like there's so much there's so many cards that are that are being added that I think are just gonna be auto includes. Um, and, and then there's also going to be some cards that if people figure out how to abuse them are really going to elevate these factions. And so that's why putting the evaluation on, on the the houses is so difficult right now. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, A lot of moving pieces. Right. Yeah. So I guess that would be my question is, is there a is it possible that there's so much good stuff being put into the format that it, it creates a smaller disparity between the houses? CT, what do you think about that that concept? So here's my hot take. Uh, I think people are overvaluing the new cards being put into the card pool. So Windy City was last weekend, and Windy City basically had six restricted cards in the like there were six specific cards you couldn't play with. Um, but other than that, people basically got to play whatever they wanted from the new pack which there was a nice, pretty even spread of house representation. Um, and you can basically just assume that like every house had three new supposedly busted cards that they could play with. Um, and at the end of the day, even though there were a lot of really crazy wild games and like wacky interactions, everything lost to Targsy of Blood. So I don't think that the discrepancy from this restricted list is like wildly far away from where we were with the war meta other than there was a lot of clear martel favoritism in this restricted list um so they're definitely going to jump up a lot there on their end but other than that i don't think that the actual rankings change very drastically i think martel goes up quite a bit and barra probably comes down quite a bit um but there's i don't think there's going to be like a huge difference just based off this card pool because this is a much more restrictive list than Windy City played. Um, and I mean, look what happened there. I think that's pretty representative of like how a lot of this will go. The big swinging factor, though, is that <clears throat> is Lannister because Wheels was not allowed, period, at Windy City. And whoever drafts Lannister could potentially play Wheels. Um, so I feel like that's kind of the only really big unknown factor we have as far as any like raw tournament data with these cards. And as much as any of these cards could be considered an atom bomb, wheels within wheels has to be yeah, <laughs> on the, the short the, on the short it's list. It's the for top that. one for sure, yeah. Yep. As far as house discrepancy, I still think tar like your targs um and your lannies are probably still very, very much on top. Um, and I think that your probably your Greyjoys and your Tyrells are probably still very low. Um, and then other than Martell and Barra kind of swapping places. So I do you like still see, you, you think the disparity is similar t- to that of, of the world's meta in such that the top houses are going to be going for 30% of the budget and the bottom houses are still going to be obviously going for a yeah. dollar. Um, is that what you're saying? Yeah. I don't feel like, um, 
I don't feel like the disparity the disparity between the biggest house and the lowest house is going to be different than what we've seen before, for the most part. I still think gotcha. we'll see that top house go for you know thirty thirty five dollars or whatever, um, and then people are going to be fighting to not get a house for a dollar, uh, whatever that worst house ends up being. Which it, I think that's probably the the bigger debate is like which house is the worst now, as opposed to which house is the best because I do think that there's a few pretty big titans there with some of these new cards. So there is a new wrinkle t- uh, to this war um, that hasn't existed in the past. And that's, that's the introduction of, of one agenda per player uh, per team. So in the past, I don't know exactly like what the ratio has been, but it, I feel like it's usually like, um, you know, like a one three, to- two years ago. And- yeah. I mean, like based on the the size of the teams, it's usually something like a three to one ratio. I feel like does that sound right? Maybe two to one at the at the lowest it's ever been, and so we're going from that to basically these teams of seven or eight people, and they're going to have to produce, you know, instead of four decks or three decks, right? They're going to have to produce seven or eight different decks. I mean, sh- surely that in and of itself is going to be a huge determinant determining factor in the, you know, not only the value of these houses, but the disparity of the top and the bottom house. Like, do we, do we think that Targaryen has the diversity to be, you know, the, the most expensive faction or the faction that returns the most wins per player uh, in the format? Uh, Alejandro, why don't you answer that one? Yes, it feels like it feels like a yes to me, um, and I'm not sure that it's just because it was, you know, one of the best decks at Worlds. I think it's it also kind of avoided some hits like Cal Drogo and Kotho uh, being restricted or, or big, obviously for the 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 deck that won Worlds. Um, but it, leaving Womb of the World available so that every deck can play Womb of the World and. Mm-hmm. New Cal Drogo and overwhelming numbers and and take Kothoids is restricted if it really wants to. Um, it feels like a, a really good place to be for them. Um, so I think I think I, you know going in Targ feels super strong. Well, every war has always had that thing of like it's just like Targ has efficient cards and they're easy to play. So even if Targ doesn't necessarily have like the best deck in the format at the moment, they're always, they've always performed very well. Yep. All right. So we've talked a little bit about um, our expectations for potentially the bet, the best house or the house that's going to return the most wins per player. It's going to add the most wins per player, which, you know, might be Targaryen. If we, we sat here and talked for three hours, maybe we'd come up with a different answer. Maybe it's Lannister. Um, what about the worst? Yeah, I still think that there's a lot to explore. Like, Absolutely, yeah. I don't, that's what I mean to say is I don't want to, I don't want to put, uh, you know, I don't want to put a cap on that discussion. Like we could talk about that for a long time, yeah. um, and try to figure out. It, and exactly... we wouldn't because we we need a lot, a lot of data before right. we really yeah. started to figure any of this out. But since we can't do that, or since we're not going to do that, let's <laughs> talk about the inverse of that, which is the worst house. What like which. In my mind, you know, there are a couple houses that jump out at me, but to me, the big factor in determining that um, 
is what didn't get a boost? What didn't get a shot in the arm from this pack? Um, and to me, the answer to that question is Night's Watch. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Night's Watch has traditionally been a very good war format house. So to say that my expectation is that it should be one of the cheaper houses in this field might mean that it's secretly has a lot of equity there because it might go for, you know, really low and again, perform as night's watch does. And I don't know if that's due somewhat to its versatility. Um, you know, the fact that you can play core wall in any night's watch build and, and have a win condition right there. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Trey from Trey from, from a sort of an analytical perspective and sort of seeing the, the success of night's watch, uh, throughout the years, do you think uh, Night's Watch going for a dollar in this draft would be a huge mistake? Yeah, I don't see it going for a dollar. I don't know exactly where to put it. Um, I really, I, I really have no idea. I would say that it has been the most reliably profitable, you know, house in Thrones War history, right? Like it, it so often goes for unsexy numbers and then does mm-hmm. above that. You know, does is this a current meta change that? I can't tell you. I, I, it doesn't sound to me like it's the worst. And I and I would say, um, generally, I think that regents and players have overreacted to um, restricted link uh, restricted list changes. I think CT's right about that. So, um, you know, and I've heard from different people that that felt like targets been re- hitting really hard. So it it shouldn't be at the top anymore. These are the kind of calls you have to make uh, as a regent. And then the final thing I would say is, I think uh, also what CT was saying is like identifying what the worst house is may be much more important than what you think the best house is. I mean, it's important to come up with values, especially if you don't want to play certain, like some people don't want to play Greyjoy. Some people don't want to play Night's Watch. Um, like that's important um, that you you know, end up with players and yourself where you're going to be happy building with with uh, with that with the house that you end up with, especially because like of all the Thrones Wars that I've been involved with or that I've seen, like this is the deck builder challenge, right? Like this is going to be the most, you know, this is going to be a test of the team to come up with the decks in a way that exceeds previous iterations of this. But part of that means like you really have to nail down what do I want to avoid what's the worst house so that I can accurately price everything else. 10 points to Gryffindor. And that's particularly a reference to this little whiteboard I have sitting in front of me that it says, go to Thrones War. Don't go to Thrones War. Go to Thrones War as Gryffindor. Don't go to Thrones War as Slytherin. So, um, (laughs) so interestingly, 50 points for Gryffindor. (laughs) Um, Interestingly, we talk about Night's Watch, which is, like you said, historically one of the most profitable houses. Let's talk a little bit about Martell, which is historically hey, one of one of let's the, stay one on of the watch for like a second. Oh, fine. Because here's why I think it's in the worst shape. Um, it's losing two really big cards that have been basically a static inclusion for every one of their top builds. Uh, with this restricted list, they're losing Clytus. They're losing Return to the Fields. These are two really big hits. And if you look at the bin pack, you're basically saying Night's Watch by far got the weakest new cards and may have taken the biggest hit. 
which is why I think they're falling down so far. I think it's important to address how, like, why we think that. CT confirmed trying to get Night's Watch for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Got me. I, I think that's a reasonable argument, but I think that they are probably still a very versatile house when it comes to the Thrones War format. Sure. And You're not so going to have to run into like as many aggro decks. Like if we're looking I, at it from a purely meta basis. But... I think, I think from that perspective alone, they should not be the, the cheapest house. Um, even if they did take a significant bump and they're not really getting a shot in the arm that other factions aren't getting. I mean, cause obviously they're still getting all the neutrals and the new agendas, right? but nothing to separate themselves really from the yeah. other factions. And part of that is that a lot of these are 1.0 reprints, quote unquote. So, you know, they really like, they really phoned it in as far as the Night's Watch cards in the bin pack. But, um, and plus, people may just not want to play with the Sam because it's so goddamn ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Even though that I card guess... is probably fairly okay in like any Night's Watch deck. Yeah, I guess that has a greater than zero value. Um, so, so Night's Watch, historically most profitable house. Martell, historically pro- the least profitable. I don't know if that's a fair it's pretty swingy. To say. It's had it's a lot. Swingy. It's, okay. Yeah. I mean, what didn't didn't Johnny Wright win with it, or somebody was won with Martell already? That's uh, why this is exciting. Yeah, and I three don't of think us it's were ever, on that team. I thought. I don't think it ever. Oh, we did win, didn't yes, we? Yes, yeah. half of us oh. were on that team. How can you forget, you bastard? Yeah, wow. and then it was it was second two years ago. Um, right, yeah. that was when I was regent there. And the beauty um, of it is, is this war is roughly the same size as the year that Martell won, which to me says this is Martell's best opportunity to win again. But outside of those two years, it's done pretty <laughs> poorly, right? So is that, it didn't is do it that poorly for me last year. Lies. No, I'm just kidding. What did you? How? What did you get? <laughs> did you? I, I, how'd, I don't remember. I think okay. it was like fourth place, maybe. Yeah, top okay, half. So, it's still in the top. Well, half. you know, I, I think that it is. It's and that's kind of my point. Is is it just a product? Is that just a product of Martell was when Martell's bad? It's a really bad Thronesworth action. Unlike Night's Watch, where sometimes we're, if Night's Watch is not maybe a great faction, it can still support a good Night's Watch team. When Martell is bad, it's just it like not only do you is it tough because you have to find the right team to play it. It's not an yeah. easy fa- yeah. faction to play. Um, as the really teams scale to, up, it becomes harder to field average players on Martell as well. You have to. I mean, I don't want to say you have to innovate more. But it certainly pays to be innovative with Martell. Um, so, you know, going into the into worlds, the worlds meta, Martell, in my opinion, was the worst house. Is that a fair thing to say? I mean, it was. If it wasn't worse, it was. It next was you're not, you're not crazy. You're not yeah, crazy. So, this restricted list is a huge shot in the arm to Martell. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody would be lying if they said anything otherwise. So. You know, if we're saying don't freak out and, you know, sort of look at the world's meta and use that as like a starting block, like certainly Martell has to shift somewhat. It can't be the worst house right. going into this tournament. Absolutely not. Even though it has been a historically difficult house to profit from in Thrones War and it was really bad pretty recently. Um and and so yeah, I think that's one of the, that's one of the more interesting questions f- for the regents going into this tournament is, what's the worst house in this in this in this tournament? I don't necessarily think it's Night's Watch, um, you know, and the other ones that are down there don't inspire me as far as 
being terrible either as you know baratheon tyrell Greyjoy, maybe Greyjoy is the worst house. Um, I have a couple of thoughts on Martell. Okay. One, I think CT, or you, you already said it. I think if you're going to build a Martell, if you're going to do heart, house Martell, you need to know early because you got to build a team around that because getting a player on house Martell that doesn't want to play house Martell is a complete disaster, whether they incapable of it or just don't want to do it. Um, and then the second thing is, I, th- I think like maybe I'm I'm wrong, but my perception of Martell is that this is kind of like the player's house. Like this is the Tiffany of of the of the houses in Game of Thrones, where it's supposed to be kind of a high skill, fun, full of tricks uh, faction. And so I think you do find a greater percentage of regents and experienced players that are interested in playing Martell and kind of facing that challenge. So it might get bid up. Or I think it's historically probably gotten bid up a little bit more than it should in terms of what they're willing to pay for it. So you're always starting at a little bit of a deficit when you're playing Martell because you probably didn't get a great bargain on it in the first place. Absolutely. It definitely doesn't help that this year's region spread are full of people who like Martell much more than average. Yeah, that is that is an interesting wrinkle that like you have to consider is obviously regents have their preferences as well as the players. And so I'm sure um, trying to basically, I know this is something that everybody does that I've talked to who's been a regent is they always sort of try to pin, you know, a faction or two onto every regent and, and sort you know, sort of expecting to sort of find their lane more or less of where, where they're going to be able to get value in the draft. So, okay. 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 So I got um, two things. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, my team came in third last year and in an attempt <laughs> to steal more points for Gryffindor, Benji Jones just signed up. Uh, for God damn it, Benji. Yeah. That <laughs> 8,000 points for Gryffindor. The, it is like, whose line? The points don't fucking matter. Just assign a winning, put a W in the Gryffindor column and move forward. Wait, you think I actually have a whiteboard with Gryffindor and Slytherin on it? I know you do. Actually, if okay. I didn't have your, your whiteboard from the testing house, I would automatically assume that you're always sitting in front of a whiteboard. <laughs> All right, let me let me ask my noob question about the worst house because here here's the the noob player's perspective. I would I would have like you were just talking about Lannister being at the top. I would have been really tempted to put Lannister at the bottom because yeah, I thought they had like one good deck and that agenda just got restricted and they just got uh what Red Keep uh, yeah, Red Keep restricted. restricted yeah. So, like, if you're yeah. counting that as a as a yeah, top it, house, it, is it purely on the basis of wheels within wheels? It is. Yeah, okay. that's the swinginess yeah. of yeah. wheels, right? It's, it's speculation yeah. based on just how powerful this card is. Like, like I, I think. Know, <laughs> no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know how many decks you guys have built. I I haven't built more than a few decks with with wheels in it yet. Um, and and still, like, I feel. You know, it's just it's strictly speculation, but it feels, uh, you know, pretty pretty okay to speculate on on yeah. the power of this fucking card. And it's like, sure, everybody gets Westeros bleeds, but consider the fact that Lannister can now play with wheels, and it has another reset in addition to what it was doing before. If, especially if we're talking about like shadows builds, um, yeah, like may, they might be losing the Red Keep, um, but they're gaining a couple other pretty nasty tricks. 
So yeah, so most of my Lannister decks are going to play wheels, and those that can't find a way to abuse that might play Red Keep. But the fact that you can just have outside of plot resets is probably enough to elevate that faction from being the bottom. Is it enough to make it the best house? Probably not. But that's one of those things where if if a if a player drafts that house, if a regent drafts that house and they don't break the format, they could easily be the worst house. So, yeah, it's a I mean, yeah. pretty big risk reward situation there. So maybe let me talk about like one of my assumptions and maybe why this this particular restricted list breaks that is like we as we talked about earlier, when you're evaluating the house, part of what you have to do, you're not you're not evaluating these houses in terms of, you know, I'm going to go play at Worlds with my deck and what are the best decks. You're evaluating these houses in terms of how many decks can I build for my team. And so, you know, this rule about having, you know, every single player gets a different agenda. To me, that said, okay, Lannister's going to get hit really hard by that because, you know, they had one tier one deck and then they had Lanny Crossing, which was, you know, I don't know how you want to one B, you know, tier two or whatever. Um, you know, like that was something that was not working in Lannister's favor already. And now you can only have a single Kingdom of Shadows deck. And, you know, and you're going to have one crossing deck. And then after that, you know, yeah, hey, you're me. starting from scratch. You're starting from scratch where I'm building all these new decks around wheels within wheels, I guess. And so you better be ready for that challenge. Yeah, but the beauty of it is, is like in war format, decks like Lanny Crossing have never not been tier one and continue to stay tier one even if the meta at large... But it's one deck. My point is actually way. just that it's one deck. It's good, yeah. but it's just one deck. But, like, right now, Lannister looks pretty juicy to me because you could play two different Shadows decks. You can play Crossing. You can play the deck that Tom played to the final at Windy City because that deck Rose actually Banner. isn't hit. Yeah. yeah, that deck was not hit by this restricted list, and that deck was fucking gas. That deck is terrifying. <laughs> what's, what's the other Shadows deck that you can play? Assault? Yeah. I mean, you could just okay. build the same shell. I mean, you change you, the character. You play base, HRD, right? You could also play HRD as well, yeah. 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 I guess, I mean, you lose some of the strength of shadows in, like, nighttime marauders. Yeah, you lose character um, diversity, but... but Yeah, you lose two big parts of that deck. If the, like, the strength yeah. of the Kingdom of Shadows, for sure. But you are gaining right. these other tools. And Bolton players. Yeah, you're, you're gaining these other tools that make these really grindy decks potentially excel in their place, so... I think it kind of balances out. It's just a different play pattern. For sure. All right, well, let's uh, let's move on. We've talked about houses for a bit. Let's talk about player valuation. Um, so I know having watched the Second Sons episode that you were on, Trey, in which you guys analyzed the, the Thrones War draft from last year, mm -hmm. um, you talked a bit about the cost of a win in terms of your budget. Um, now, does that value stay the same more or less regardless of the number of players in the player pool, or does that value change drastically? It changes. I don't know if it okay. changes drastically, but yeah, you sure. want it, you, you, it has to. It correlates uh, direct, directly to number of your budget versus the number of available wins. That's right. That and so like what you're willing, like, the, it's it's getting into the weeds a little bit here, but you know, yes, what you pay for a marginal win, like already we had to do our house calculation, like how much of our budget should you be de devoting towards house? Everything else is going to be left for players, so that can change just based upon uh, how how much you're gonna. We think this group of regents is going to devote towards 
house and how much is and you can see that you know different drafts go differently where we've seen some where only 10 percent of the total budget went toward houses and then we've seen some others recently that went up to 20 percent so um again like having those numbers allows you to see like oh regents are really spending on houses this time i need to be adjusting my values on players down a little bit just so that i or just so that i know like where i'm going to get my value but yes okay so it does change let's say you know we have a value we have a value for a win like we have like two and a half dollars or whatever is is what a win costs in this format i don't know if that's accurate Mm -hmm. based on the number of available wins and the budget and all that but um how do we translate that into something that's actionable um in terms of evaluating players and potential player value so Yes, we can we can kind of do the math and come out with something that like, you know, two point five five dollars per win is what that's what a win is worth. And then we're now we're going to go back to the whole idea of like, well, what do I get for free or what do I get for a buck? And I think what I've always assumed is like you you generally you don't want to rate any player less than two wins. In, especially in this format, right? Because it's a Swiss format. So the players that are struggling are going to play against other players who are struggling. And so um, it's very hard to actually score less than two wins in the format. There's going to be some that some players that do worse than two wins, but you would never project that, right? You know, um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't expect that. And so if the idea is when looking at any player the first two wins are worth a dollar, then what we're really figuring out is marginal wins. What, how many wins does a player contribute beyond the first two? And so once you do the math and subtract out the money you've taken out for those first two wins from every single player, you've actually like eliminated half, almost half of the wins or maybe even more than half of the wins in the entire tournament by taking out two wins per player. And so then you end up with something like four or five bucks per win past the second so that's why you know if you can project a a really elite player to say well i would expect alejandro for example to go you know to to win at least five games in this tournament most likely he's going to win six he's probably going to win a game in in you know the um the cut and we're going to say and that, that's like an average performance for him with with an average deck. Then you're looking at like Alejandro might be worth seven wins, what you know, five marginal wins at, you know, close to five bucks a piece. You're still so, you know, we can put a price tag on Alejandro of like 26 bucks. Rip. Now, will you actually get Alejandro at 26? Probably not. But but no. But that's what that's what his wins, an average performance for Alejandro, will be worth in terms of wins. How does Alejandro be, feel about being twenty six dollars or higher? That would be that would be if you were projecting Alejandro to be worth seven wins. Is that correct? Like somewhere in the like six between six right. and a half. Because well, obviously no one's going to be worth seven wins. But if they're worth six and a half, we're probably rounding that number up, right? Now tell so, me, how catastrophic is it for the reason that drafts? this hypothetical person and that person <laughs> just gets four wins that person's off the team <laughs> yeah it's 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 bad news it's 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 you know, like you've you've got some risk there um now that said alejandro could give his team 10 or 11 
like when you win when you win on one of these tournaments then you're you're talking about tremendous profit but you would never project somebody to say i'm projecting this person to win the tournament and i'm going to pay for it in the draft like that's a that's certainly a a losing strategy there so maybe the the takeaway i would say from that is like as far as like my projections on players um i i wouldn't value anybody project them above like six and a half wins um you know, in terms of just like an average of what you're going to do, maybe that's low, but um, that I would basically that's... be that would basically be saying like you think the best player in the tournament on average will make the cut with a loss and win one game in the cut. Is that, that kind would of be, the idea? That would be seven. Sure. If that's an average performance, then, then for you the could... best player in the tournament, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think it's fair to say the average for the best player is probably lower than that. Right, so right. I, I wouldn't, value, I wouldn't project I anybody uh, that high. And again, the the format works against the best players too, right? Because as you get deeper into the Swiss, you're playing much, much stronger competition. So you've got a lot of headwind for now. Those wins kind of mean more because you're knocking when you win late in the tournament, you're beating the other team's best players too. So they're they're crucial, but it, it also means it's just harder and harder to project somebody to actually, you know, get six wins in the Swiss. Like that's a it, big number. It it is it is to some extent, but also, um, I think if it were just a normal Swiss tournament, you would be guaranteed to be playing a player of equivalent record. Where in this case, it's possible for a team to be doing so poorly that their best player is you know, mm-hmm. one or two wins behind you. So there maybe is, you know, maybe that's like super marginal and not relevant, which is probably the case, but it's kind of an interesting nuance. Yeah, you're right. You've identified this is different than a standard Swiss tournament in that the 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 format will keep, like it's possible to have more, it's possible to have multiple 7-0 and players. Like it's possible in the war format to have three 7-0 and players, whereas a normal Swiss would probably make that impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they played, I mean, obviously if the number of players in the tournament was high enough, that seven rounds wouldn't get you to a single undefeated player, that wouldn't be the case. But yeah, I think your point uh, remains. So, so if, you know, if we have this, this idea of a value per win and we have this idea of, of sort of like the baseline where everyone starts as, you know, worth two wins, like a dollar, you know, gets you two wins. Um, how do you go about assigning a value to a player? I know that, you know, you were talking about how Buzz and how Wama would use the jousting pavilion. Um, but what's like, you know, what is the process like in sort of getting that to that expected value, getting to that ceiling of what you would spend on a player when you're doing preparation for the event? Yeah, I think... Uh, the- what I would do and, and have done is just, just keep this really simple. If you rank the players in terms of how good you think they are from top to bottom, then so here's what I have actually in the spreadsheet is I, I have a curve, right? I've, you know, I've, I've looked at, and I could, should probably go back and look at it again, but like you can go and take a look at a Thrones War tournament or any of these other tournaments and just say, let me look at the results after seven rounds. Like that's a, that's a, uh, what kind of curve is that? 
you know, you're, you have a very even distribution of wins all the way from zero up to seven, where you have very few at each end and you have a ton of people at three and four. Like you just apply that, that bell curve. I don't know. That's a, not... Yeah, it's okay. a bell curve. It's a um, God, forgetting. But like that's that's what I've already kind of like built into the spreadsheet. Like that that curve can alter slightly, but like we know there's going to be a you know maybe we know how many three win players there's going to be. We know how many four win players they're they're going to be. And so you can you can kind of just put a distribution curve there, and then just apply your list to that, right? So if, you know, if we've got 64 players and, you know, you've got somebody ranked 32, that's very average, you know, and they're probably going to get you, you know, three and a half wins and they're not going to qualify for the cut, right? Like seven rounds, mm -hmm. three and a half is average. And so you're, you're probably looking at your 32nd best player getting you three and a half wins. So in that case, you're only paying for one and a half wins. And so you're looking at about a six or seven dollar player, right? Yeah. So and and I think that's a really that's really great advice. Um, you know, don't don't focus too much on signing assigning this sort of arbitrary expected value. Um, you know, if all things are equal, you take you know you take a, a random smattering of players who would go to an event. You know, you're going to have they're going to have these sort of like expected results. So I think that's a really interesting way that I had never thought about preparing. Um, usually I have in the past done like the tiered system that you mentioned in the past uh, beforehand. Um, and it's worked well for me, but I think there's always room to improve. And I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on is you've done so much work. And I think a lot of it's really excellent work um, on sort of analyzing Thrones War as, as for, you know, as like uh, something that can be, sort of improved and and something that can be you know perfected it with enough with enough time and effort so um does anybody uh does anybody else have some strong opinions about player valuation um i know ct and jess uh this might be a bit of a hairy topic just because we're drafting on sunday but as sort of like more of a general theory sense i try to never pay more than 25 dollars for anyone no matter how good i think they are now that number surely that value changes based on uh budget right yeah, I mean, yeah like yeah. that was like an i would say that was like that was kind of like a rule for me and in, in like the average 9 10 11 player range so like i would be even more reluctant to pay that much in a seven eight nine person field but we'll see if i have to break my rule <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, and I think, I know you guys touched on this in the in the post uh, UK war value uh, um, video. Is that there's really not a lot to there's not a lot to be gained from the players at the top level. So really, I think where your money is made is in that middle and lower tier. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, regents are are uh, you know, there's a varying skill level usually to regents um which is a whole other issue um that we could talk about it's sort of like that that you know from the starting line not everybody's got the sit working with the same expe expected win value right yeah. um but you know regents they want certain skilled players on their team for more reasons than just expected wins um there's a leadership element 
there's a creativity element um and there's a a commitment element to players who have done well in the past there's a perception that players who do well play more which is not always the case um but beyond that it i think the 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 results show that really teams win when they draft players um who exceed their expectations from the middle and the bottom tier so how do we go about evaluating players in those ranges in order to in order to separate yourself from the rest of the draft i guess that that would be my my big question because i think you know we talked about how important it is to get as many extra wins out of your house as possible and i think the next most important if not the you know equally important is to really get as much value as you can out of that middle and lower tier for players trey do you have any thoughts on that sure um well, first off, I think CT's um, thoughts about like there being a, a almost like a, a cap on the top players is correct. Um, even as you expand to a much much larger number of players, the kind of cap on what you should pay for top players it inches up a little bit, but not a whole lot because if you think about it, it's not like when you get a lot more players in the tournament suddenly your top player is winning 15 matches. You know, you're still only playing seven rounds of Swiss before you get into the cut. So, like, player value in terms of your expectation is pretty capped. And so maybe just as a shorthand here, I would say if you're thinking about spending more than 22 bucks on any player, you are no longer paying for just their wins. You are, play you are paying for them to make a contribution to your team in some other way, as a deck builder, as a tester or something like that but you're at that point you're no longer just paying for for wins on that um and then kind of one of the things like you 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 are kind of just rolling back a little bit here you are calculating out how many wins are in the entire tournament like if we do if we do a tournament with uh six uh 64 players plus regents that means there's 252 wins in the round robin, and then another 31 available in the elimination. So that's 297 total auction wins that you're competing for out of out of your budget. And so you can you can you can still like get down to exactly like I I should have, uh, you know, all of all of the wins assigned to the player pool here. And by the way, that means I subtract a lot of wins for Regent performance. You have, you have to think about, okay, how good are the regents here? Because they're going to eat up a bunch of these wins because they're good players. How many wins are left over for the general player pool here? That's true. Yeah, a counterpoint to that is um, that it, it seems like traditionally regents underperform in the event just because of the... Uh, oh. oops, some, does someone have a tornado? Or uh, Amber or... Alert just went off on my phone. Okay, it's okay. not. Uh, Sorry, we don't have coronavirus alerts yet. Um, <laughs> this is it. This uh, is the end. I've got to. <laughs> I've got to get some tech support in India because I've got a blue screen right now. So let me hold on. Getting oh, out no. my credit card. No. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I think I think uh, traditionally regions uh, sort of underperform, and, and I think the reason for that is that there's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and a lot of time that goes into the event where you are trying to support and prop up everyone else on the team. And so you end up 
sometimes being, you know, either fatigued or underprepared yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think that's an important thing that not a lot of people do is really, you know, figuring out how many wins each regent are going to be basically taking out of the available win pool going into the draft. So, so if we're going to try to determine, you know, who are the $10 players? Who are the $5 players? Who are the $2 players that we are interested in? Obviously there are resources out there like the jousting pavilion, you know, um, where you can, where you can, you can access people's history, but is it, is it, is it not only having that information, but also going back to that idea that Jess mentioned at the beginning of timing and understanding when you can use timing and research to sort of pluck people, you know, for the right price at the right time, because, you know, if you wait too long for some of these players, the value, their values change drastically. And that's one of the, the, the great things about these events is the, and specifically the draft is that by the end, um, you know, you may have a player at $2, but at the end, by the end, you know, they may be a six or $7 player because, because of, you know, how much somebody has left, how much money somebody has left. And, you know, they may only have to fill one slot. So how do we account for that in turn in, in our preparation? Is there, is there an amount of, of, um, of like importance that we have to put on timing of like nominating players or, and this is really something that I feel like I'm not super proficient on. So I'm interested in, in hearing what other people have to think about this. Well, Okay, for, first off, I feel like I've, I'm talking talking too much here. Um, I've got spreadsheets. Not on. at all. So when that's, you when that's you when you, when you talk about like on. what do you you know what what should somebody be worth? For one thing, I can kind of give out generic spreadsheets so that it's like you want to say here's my list of players and just paste it on top of the spreadsheet based upon the number of people in the tournament. Like you can do that and say, okay, this you know so and so is the 38th best player. Trace spreadsheet says I should pay six for them. Like that's that's step one and i would say step two is once you're ready to do the auction you kind of forget about all this underlying math and you just trust that number for every player and every house you have going forward and put all the other stuff out of your mind and you're just looking at that and when that player that we have down for six goes for you know 10 or 11 you know you're kind of writing to the side of that, you know, plus five people are overpaying right now, or they're overpaying for second tier players right now. And that helps you just identify current trends in the auction, which I think is what you were getting towards. And so, so having that number is giving you a real good indication of like, where are we in terms of uh, where the region's heads are right now in terms of spending. So basically, you know, if you were, executing the perfect draft you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're having to overspend at the end for a player or or you know over or, or something along I those lines. i don't want to overspend at any time right yeah. absolutely but i mean because sometimes you are put in a position i've certainly been there where you know you just want to you would rather overspend on the five dollar player than be stuck with a player who you've marked as yeah you, know. you don't you don't get any 
there's no bonus points for finishing the auction with the most money not spent. So if you have one slot to fill and the best player on your list says $5 on it and you have 13, your correct bid is 13, you know, and even then you might want to do some timing because you're worried about that guy that has 14 that's, you know, friends with that guy or something. But um, yeah, there's you, you, and this is a problem that happens to regents all the time. So like maybe one of my Mel Kuyper isms right here would be unlike a lot of other fantasy sports that I've participated in where people tend to go crazy and overspend early thrones regents have been pretty conservative um, at least in the ones I've watched in the last two years. Uh, as Jess was saying, like you, you may not want to throw out there the thing you want in the first round, but we do actually see sometimes people really blink in the first round when like houses get thrown out and you're like, uh, Targ's at 31. Should I bid on this? So it's like, if you don't have a number on that, it's real easy to blink. And a house that may be worth 42 goes for, goes for, um, 31. And I've seen the general trend is for people to kind of like save their money, save their money. And then they find themselves deep in the auction and they want to spend that money. And there's not a single player from the top half left for them to spend to buy with the money they have so you know make sure that doesn't happen to you yeah i think that's great advice well um jess ct do you guys have any um do you guys have any sort of closing thoughts on player evaluations or are you planning on keeping those a little closer to the chest I will pretend like I've got a grandmaster plan, but really I just haven't looked super deep into it yet. It's like, I don't know what, what it is about the pacing of this war, but like, I don't know. I'm just like way behind. And I feel like it doesn't even feel like the draft is two days from now, I guess. Uh, it's pretty well, weird. it is. It is. It definitely <laughs> is. <laughs> Luckily, so you're saying, you're saying that this, this podcast has been uh, more or less just a big shot in the arm for you that without it, you'd just be completely lost. <laughs> It definitely helps. I'm actually super glad we did this for multiple reasons because also we've been approaching this all very much from like a uh, first time regent basis, which is going to be probably very valuable content for certain other people coming up in war's future. So that's pretty great. And yes, it'll definitely, it'll definitely, it'll definitely kick me in the ass to uh, actually make a plan tonight as well. So. And uh, Trey, do you, uh, is it uh, is this spreadsheet that we we continue to reference? Is it something that you're willing to, uh, to to that we can link with this video? Or are you are you holding on to that one? No, 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 it's fine. I mean, the okay. the, the link I've shared with you is assuming that we have 64 players, not including regents, for um, for the event. But it wouldn't be too hard to kind of do versions of that for for more or less. And if people need, if it ends up being different, I could share that too. But I think we're assuming 64 right now. So if you want to share, yeah. share that you could, and then people really, if they do take this though, they should, they need to be somewhat familiar with spreadsheets and go in and, you know, assign wins, uh, win values to every one of these houses. Um, instead of just going with the generic numbers there. That, right. That well, we and have. at the very least, maybe some people who, you know, who aren't going to be regents for this event, um, would just like to kind of look and see, um, you know, what kind of goes into preparing for one of these things. If you're, if you're really into it, like some of us, like Trey and uh, myself personally, um, 
So, so yeah, I think uh, unless anybody else has some some something they want to touch on as far as Thrones War preparation, we did uh, we did have a, one more little segment that we're gonna do, so to speak. Uh, Alejandro, Jess, you guys uh, haven't had a chance to talk in a bit. Just don't want to let let you leave you with the things you wanted to say. I'm excited for this. So this, I was a regent last year, and it probably uh, would have helped me a lot to reach out to Trey because what I did was not nearly as informative and you know efficient as this is. Um, but I'm re- I'm really happy not to be a regent this year and to let <laughs> other people worry about this part. So. I just think it's going to be really crazy because of the whole restricted list and bin pack cards, and I just don't really know what to expect. So it should be fun. Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right. Uh, I've got two two final tips. Absolutely. Here's my advice. Advice. Advice to regents. Um, I would say, in the end, um, don't be afraid to spend a few more dollars to get the house that you actually want to play, that you want to be in the cut with. Um, you know, you're playing for yourself and for your team. It's supposed to be fun. So, you know, it's it like you so often I see people, you know, like you're talking about Alex being late in the draft and you're like, I've got all this money. What should I have spent it on? And you and you kind of think back and say, well, I really wish I had spent three more dollars and gotten the house I wanted. So, you know, you're not going to wreck yourself by spending, you know, three or four bucks above what you thought in order to get a house that you actually want to play and have a good time with. So don't don't blink on that. Um, and my second point, which I, uh, move on I, and I, I will come back to my, I, I had, a, I had yeah, oh no, region, regionality, regionality. Uh, what we just saw in Thrones War UK, which is maybe something to consider for regions here is those teams in Thrones War, a lot of them were very regional. Uh, like this is an area where you can profit by saying, I'm going to draft players that I'm going to be able to get together with you know, personally and play test with and play a bunch of, you know, games with, with, with cards. And so I wouldn't, I don't think it's a bad idea at all, you know, for Midwest regions to draft mid Midwest players and Southern, you know, San Diego regions to draft San Diego players. I think that there's probably a ton of value in that, that other people aren't even going to be able to compete with. The problem when the only other person that you could play with is an opposing regent, rip. Hmm. Since most of the other Midwest players are minimum three hours away. <laughs> yeah, big rip. Well, that, you know, uh, I have two closing sort of questions. Um, so the first of which is what would, what is everyone, and I want to hear everyone's reaction on this. So I'll go around and ask everybody, but uh, what do you think the, would it be a good change? And if so, why? Uh, if in the draft, the first eight nominations were the houses, Trey. Uh, I like, don't think you like need man- to restrict that. I think it's. Okay. I think you see a lot of people playing a lot of games with one they when they want to bring that up, and so I, I just I, I wouldn't think that that would be something that's necessary. And I think it's also good to have a couple of rounds to let people kind of like warm up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- those house decisions are so critical. Um, it might feel like your draft is over in turn one if you did it that way. Sure. Perhaps, it, perhaps it's, uh, perhaps it's not a, not a great idea, but it is something that came up because I know that um, people have talked about how 
much different the draft can go if you know what your house is. So draft so, a house early. Like this is on you, Regents. Mm-hmm. You know, build sure, your strategy around right. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. So eh, screw everybody else. You don't get the answer. Um, <laughs> my other my other question is, uh, do we ever think that um, we'll one day have a Thrones War event online? And if so, would that be fun? It'd be fun. It would be a fuck ton of work for whoever organizes it. Like it would be logistically, I, mean, I think, a lot more difficult than normal. But it would be pretty that's great. true. Yeah, maybe maybe you could um, change it up a little bit and let all the teams have different houses, and then make it like nationality based, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> womp womp. Yeah, it's like it's almost like there's gonna be two of those this year already coming up. That's wild. What a great concept. Who would have thought? This is such a popular right. idea. Fantastic. Ten points for Twitter. I think it's a great idea. In. I think it's a great idea. I mean, World Cup, World Cup showed that you can have, like, you don't have to have it all in one day, right? You know, right. you could you could be, you know, round one's going to be over these three days and round two is going to be over these three days. And World Cup showed that people can then just schedule their own matches and turn them in. There'll be a lot less drinking. Yeah, I think. I think no, there'll be know, a lot there... more drinking. People will be in their houses. <laughs> I think that th- the World Cup sh- showed that uh, o- online thr- uh, Iron Throne tournaments are definitely viable. I mean, obviously we've had um, uh, we've had uh, you know we've had the the online leagues for a long time. Um, I would be interested in seeing if you know if maybe that would be something people were, were interested in um, because unlike the World Cup. You have the element of the uh, of the draft, um, which is so you know, which is one of the greatest parts about Thrones War, right? Is is the Thrones War draft, and you don't have that element in the World Cup. Um, so, just an interesting you're, little. You're thought. just literally talking about Crasters. Well, no, because Crasters is happening in person. Well, sure, but it's yeah, whatever. I guess you're I'm right. talking about having a Thrones War online, where you had a draft and then you know play the games out online sure 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 yeah so the world cup style um, with the draft with everybody basically involved exactly yeah i mean you could do like trey suggested you could go you could take multiple weeks to to finish the event or you could try to do it all in one day i don't know uh just some food for thought especially in the light of uh the impending pandemic worldwide (laughs) Uh, you know just just an idea um i have a question i want answered by the non-regent members Mm mm-hmm the winning house, winning team house, and winning individual house. Predictions. Go. Alejandro, you don't, go first. Don't all at once. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, okay. I'm going to predict that. Wait, you mean you want the region or the faction? Just just which house do you think wins his team, and which house do you think is the individual joust winner house? Um, I think Targaryen wins, and individual, I think Alex Black wins. No, I meant house, not person. God damn it. <laughs> See what she did there. Very nice. How many points for Gryffindor is that? A hundred points for Slytherin. <laughs> That's cheating. Pandering. No. No pandering allowed. <laughs> so wait, are you locking Al- are you are you locking Alex Black into a house right now? Because you have to have to pick a house. Oh, you want the house. Oh, the, you yeah. want the <laughs> Oh, don't try and play it off now. Like this wasn't some <laughs> 
<laughs> fucking masterful play on your part. Come on. <laughs> you hurt no, me. So, first, first I said Targ. Targ, Targ winning. Wait, but team, but team he wants winner. To know, he you wants want, to know the think, house of the overall winner. You think the Joust oh, winner the, will also be Targ? Oh, no? oh, 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 sorry, sorry. Okay. Uh, Martel. Martel, I think, is the house that I, I would want to play as an individual player. This pandering will not stand. <laughs> um, See, I actually I, agree with Alejandro as well. So I was curious you, to hear would, that. Would, hmm, I think, I think uh, Dark will be the winning team and Martel will be the winning individual. I think that um, it's really hard to, to not choose Targaryen here. I, I agree with all the points that you guys are, have made, but I think it, I'm going to be a slightly contrarian and I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose Martell as the overall team winner. I think it's it's their year, but I am going to choose Lannister as the house in which the eventual champion will will be in. I think the oh, broken, I think the most broken wheels within wheels deck will probably be the best deck at the tournament. Spicy. That's my, so I don't necessarily think the house is going to do well as a team, but I think. If they manage to draft a handful of players who are really good at deck building and also really skilled, I think that's a good recipe for a potential overall joust winner. So that would be my those would be my picks. All right, I think this <sighs> question is ridiculous because the whole point of the Thrones War format is that it's a, it's an auction, and so if everybody thinks that Targaryen's going to be the winning house, then spend a lot more money on Targaryen. <laughs> yeah, that is the correct response. Don't let that it go is, for for true. a little bit a little amount of money. I think Trey, that it's Trey a outed me. Question. He outed me trying to get everybody to bid Targ up to fifty dollars. <laughs> well, well, well done, great, and I think that, that those kind of head games are fantastic. I think the the question of who's going to win individually, I think that has a lot more. Uh, value because now you're just you're you're treating this like a normal thrones tournament where you can say i expect the best deck to come out of lanny or targ and that's all you're you're really predicting because you know yeah. uh, i i would never want to predict these things until i see how people have drafted and then you can kind of say i think they overpaid for this or underpaid you know wow look what this team did but Trey, it's, it's more, it's more fun to try and influence. pick a person not a not a yeah. you know oh, well you yeah. can pick a person too but i just want i, I it's fun to try and influence people before the draft with expert opinions supposedly <laughs> well that's but the thrones word format is not fair um <laughs> like in the sense that like if you're an excellent player like you know uh, if you're at the top of the draft list which i think you know alejandro and alex you know will be in this your chances <laughs> of playing a weak faction go up dramatically you know, if, if you're paying for, if we're just hypothetically Targ is the best house, or you think Lanny is going to produce the champion, like people should have to spend a lot of money for that house, which means there's a lot less money to spend for Alejandro and Alex. So it's just much more likely that the top players end up being on a weak faction. So it's harder so to even you're predict. What you're just saying a, is, I need to convince a regent to spend all their money on me and the faction that I want to play. And then $1 players on everybody else. Yep. Yeah. That's probably not a winning. It's probably a good strategy hmm. for Alejandro, not so good for the Regent. Hmm. But the Regent does get to play the good house. Yeah, what if right? the like, what if the Regent's pretty yeah. good too? Um, and they're just a bastard and decide that just them and Alejandro are going to do well. Hmm. <laughs> That's legit. CT, let's have a little conversation. <laughs> <after>. <laughs>
Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Great stuff. stuff. All right. So I do want to get to uh, our last little segment here. And uh, firstly, I want to thank Trey again for coming on. Um, Does this mean I don't get to talk in that segment? No, you absolutely you, you, <laughs> oh, you absolutely get to talk. I will you mute got, this guy's mic. You got glazered for the last segment, damn. But, but we are we are uh, sort of. <laughs> oh, there no. we are. We are we are sort of <laughs> moving out of the uh, the segment in which which um you in know which we, I know anything yeah okay. in which we requested you to come on uh, to which share the your expertise. Expert. Um, but, uh, next, uh, I wanted to talk briefly about, uh, the conclave, uh, which is, uh, which the vote for the big, is um, this another Mike Bloomberg ad? Is that what's happening here? This is a, no, this is not a, this is not a Mike Bloomberg ad. This is, uh, I don't know what this is. What are you talking about? Conclave isn't going to win Thrones War. I think this is like a Vern Troyer ad or what's the name of the guy who like puts his boot on his head? In in New York State, and he always runs for president. You guys, does, nobody else know who this person is. You're on your own. <laughs> I'm not familiar. Okay. All right, yeah. Is that, anyway, um, oh fuck, what's his name? No, oh, I know okay. who you're talking about now. Uh, it's not Vern, but it's it's a weird name. It's a, anyway. Is it the uh, naked cowboy. So we got somebody on this cast who is uh, going to be running for the Maester of Design, and we have somebody else on this cast who is running for Maester of Jest. Remind me, what are you running for? Maester of Communication. America's in communications. So I just wanted to give these two a platform to talk about the, you know, the upcoming election and sort of like what, what their platform is and what they, you know, what they Free media, they big do. advantage. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Free press. Uh, it pays to be member of the cast, I suppose. Um, so uh, Jess, why don't you start us off? What, uh, what, you know, some of the, why, why should we vote? For, why am I going to vote for you, Jess? Tell me. Well, firstly, what firstly, what are the responsibilities of those two maester roles? I mean, because not maybe so, not not everybody knows. Yeah, so the maester of America is kind of just like is the voice for North and South America, like the player's voice within the conclave. That's kind of how I've understood it. I know that these roles are not really. Um, like, we don't know exactly how it will work out, I guess, for, like, the Maesters of America and Europe and, um, Asia Pacific. But, um... I think your role will be to find a new place on the moon where we can live when the coronavirus has ravaged our country. Yeah. So that Insert would be my coughing first, my sounds. <laughs> find new planet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, think and then the community... The communication role is also is just like a community outreach type role, keeping the community updated on things, uh, marketing, that kind of thing. And that's a really big one because as we've seen, um, you know, I, I envision some of that being like what the role that Matt Holland had been filling for the last however long that his presence on social media has existed, and and the difference in interaction between you know those who are creating the game and those who are playing the game uh from the time when holland's existence uh you know to to the time when it then when he wasn't around it i think was pretty drastic in terms of you know being like a positive influence on the game so yeah i mean i i think that the thrones players i mean we just want to know what's going on 
right? So these roles, I feel like, um, just let people know what's going on, especially communications. Um, and then the Americas, it's more of, I feel like it would be more of a role of like, what things do you like? What things do you not like? Concerns, ideas you have, like that you want brought up to these certain departments. Gotcha. Would you say that as former team captain of Team America, you are qualified to fill in this role? Uh, I would say I am, yes. Um, I don't have a ton of contacts with um, South America, which is kind of one of the things, but I'm definitely willing to find out where that community is. Um, It seems like a lot of them are on the Discord um, obviously for the World Cup, I did have to communicate with those team captains. So, I mean, for a, the America's position, I'm definitely looking at, like, building a team of basically, like, little birds throughout North and South America. Doesn't sound sinister at all. <laughs> to feed me information, like, on what the players want. So. Right on. All right, CT, you are uh, you're up for Maser of Design. Um, why should I vote for you, you piece of shit? Because you told me to, Drill Sergeant. <laughs> um, so basically, I don't know if you realize this. Um, there is a lot of really enthusiastic designers in this community, and that's great because I, I do feel like like this position is so highly contested, and the people who are gunning for it are so passionate, and that's great because we are going to need that. Um, the important thing is being the person who can funnel all that creative energy into something that will work for this game long-term for years. Um, and basically I have been (laughs) keeping dead card games alive, like my entire life. Um, it's just a thing that us Chris's do. Uh, so I'm just... I mean, I've, I've pretty exhaustively, I mean, you can read my uh, manifesto or whatever online and it's like pretty exhaustive. So I've said a lot of it there. I don't want to just kind of like rehash everything um, here because we'll be here for another two hours. But like, check that out if you kind of want to see what my game plan would be. And I'm, I'm just like super excited that there's just so much interest in it. Um, but I think I have a lot of the experience that's required for this. I think that I'm good at receiving criticism well which this job will be heaps and heaps of having to deal with kind of community backlash and all the worst parts of what we give ffg on a daily basis um so as one who dishes it out and can also take it i'm i am ready to make this work for this game so that we have like more cool cards more creative direction and design um, just make take the game somewhere like take the game places where it hasn't been yet so we're not just getting like one new mechanic every two cycles and like if that mechanic fails we're all just kind of like sitting around just going okay here's the five new cards that are are great for the metagame or impactful for the metagame and here's six cards i'm putting in my binder i just want to break the cycle of kind of where thrones has been up to this point Awesome. Well, uh, Alejandro or Trey, uh, we've, we got this opportunity to have these candidates uh, here with us. Do you have any questions for either of the candidates? I do. Yes. 
Go ahead, Alejandro. Oh, no, go ahead. You, you, you can start it. Okay, so Master of Design, what is your plan, or is there a plan? What is the role of the community in submitting or weighing in on new cards in this kind of new environment in which we're at? Uh, so basically, I do think that having like an open Discord or a Google Doc or something where we can just like constantly take feedback from the community about what they think is working or not working with the game is important. Um, so I would definitely encourage like submissions. Can from I that. submit card designs? Damn it! You can. You can absolutely I submit card can. designs? Sure. Like, do people get to see them? Absolutely. So like, unlike a company like FFG, where we're just like stretched thin and we have X amount of projects and we have to make a bottom dollar. The thing that like a players committee does is like, we're just doing this because we want the game to be better and we're volunteering our time for it. There's literally no reason that if, if anyone has an idea that it shouldn't go through my inbox at some point and be read. Um, I think that that's a service that we provide as a players committee. That's a huge boon over us being ran by a corporation, which is a pretty big deal. The other thing is, like, the manpower will be way bigger. Like, we will have to build a design team. There's going to be six, seven, I don't know how many, like, we're kind of looking at, but, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, like, a half a dozen, like, design people in their own, with their own kind of groups that also funnel down into playtesting. There will be playtest heads. Those people will have their own groups. We're going to be able to, like, compile more data than FFG was ever able to put together like with their resources because you know they have x amount of projects we're just playing one card game and we have hundreds of volunteers at our disposal um when we did the volunteer call a while back like we had so many submissions and so mm -hmm. many of those people are so passionate to contribute something to the game which is fantastic yeah it's it's i i was looking at that it's like it is definitely going to be a very political job you know like both in terms of like like you said receiving criticism communicating with with the community um you know i think my thoughts on design would be like this has got to be a person that is going to manage that process it, this is not necessarily about like being an auteur who has a vision for the game necess necessarily but is rather gonna you know bring the community in and at the same time you still got to deliver content on a really tough schedule so like this is this is the toughest position out there so uh but i've i've reviewed the cards you sent me and there was some fantastic stuff there so i was really impressed and if people haven't uh checked out what did you what did you call it your, your manifesto if people haven't checked out the manifesto <laughs> yeah it's like a design journal flash manifesto whatever you want to call it like it, it's something i've just kind of been slowly building on since like, basically, the day we came home from Nationals, like, the whole car ride back, I was just like, we have to start a plan. Like, when they said, like, we're not doing any more product. We've done all the design space we can do. Like, my my eight-hour rant in the car home about how that was complete bullshit basically turned into this kind of, like, you call it a manifesto. Like, that works really well, I think. As and a... we will be linking that uh, with the episode so that people who haven't had a chance to look at it do. Um, Alejandro, I know you had a uh, tray. Was that all? I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you off. I'll I'm put in, a, I think, that the, the two roles that uh, Jessica has identified there both involve, you know, communicating with the community, both, you know, giving 
you know, being communicating with the community so they know what's going on, but also listening to people and channeling that feedback into what the conclave should be doing. And I, I think she's would be great for either of those roles. And how's my endorsement? Yay. Awesome. Thank you. Alejandro, you had a couple questions? Uh, <clears throat> could you tell me about your best Dothraki card that you're planning on designing one? <laughs> Is this a question for <laughs> Jess or for CT? <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> that was for Jess, clearly. Okay, Dothraki. Yeah, clearly. Army. Yeah. Jess, how how um <laughs> how, how available are you to bug the future master of design for Dothraki? Army, free to play. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> right, we, uh, we are cooking with gas. <laughs> like I said, Alejandro, I w- I will look at everything in the inbox once, and then it will either go to put this up to one of the other design people to work on or put it in the trash. <laughs> I assume you So you're <laughs> saying there's a chance. <laughs> Tough but fair. So you're telling me there's a chance. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what the job is, right? It's going to be tough but fair. It's going to be assessing a global community's outlook on where the design of the game should be and like trying to push people's ideas up. But at the end of the day, somebody has to be like, this is going to work. This is not going to work. This is what we're going with, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be a hard, you know, like you said, it's it's going to be a thankless, difficult job. I think people should consider that. And it will be a very political job. And I think I have very good ties with most of the people in the community. I'm very approachable. I mean, vote for me, dog. 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 Awesome. Sweet. Well, I think that is going to conclude this episode of Zero Reserve. Um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And thanks for everybody who's been on the cast. Trey, this is, I guess, your opportunity. If you've got anything you want to plug right now, feel free. Um, uh, everybody subscribe to the Game Brain podcast. I'm a co-host on that. It's a board game podcast available everywhere you'll find podcasts. Game Brain podcast. I am a subscriber. Yeah. It's a great podcast. I highly recommend Dang. it um yeah we'll, we'll have to like link it in the oh absolutely uh, we will quote, yeah quote we'll unquote links notes. in the uh, description <laughs> in the video um because nobody's gonna listen you know two hours in the episode Trey. you should have brought this up an hour and 45 minutes ago really. i'm fine i'm good <laughs> that's immediately what you should have said after say hey Trey. <laughs> was find me on game break i gotta get All that right. one subscriber at the beginning is what you're saying oh yeah, yeah. more we're getting more than that Put in the bank three subscribers for Game Britain after All this right, I'll, I'll track it. Yeah, track it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, uh, this is going to be it for Zero Reserve. And uh, don't forget to check your reserve. I don't know. I still don't. I'm not sure. Anyway, goodbye. Yeah. Ow! This ad was brought to you by Mike Greenberg. <laughs>